You're listening to the Bay of Guscon podcast. One nation, one tribe. This podcast episode contains sensitive content discussing trauma and mental health. We'll be addressing personal experiences and emotions that might be triggering to some individuals. While our intention is to foster understanding and provide insight, we strongly encourage listeners who might be deeply affected by these topics to consider their own emotional well-being before proceeding. If you find yourself in need of immediate support, please reach out to a mental health professional or a trusted person in your life. When Tristan Paragas and I met for the first time after he reached out to me to be a part of the podcast, we both totally geeked out over our love of the business guru, Gary Vanderchuk, as well as Dr. Gabor Maté and his work with trauma and the body. In this episode, Tristan sat down with myself and podcast host Matthew Hilkowicz and shared his incredible story about immigrating to Canada at the age of 16 and why he's so passionate about being a mental health advocate. Tristan's story is incredibly inspiring, and he shares about how his perception had to shift from how mental health was perceived in the Philippines to how it is perceived here in Canada. I met Tristan last week, was it? Yeah. And I gotta tell you, that was so awesome because you like had me high as a kite on life after I left you because we were geeking out over Gary V and Dr. Gabor Mate. <laughs> so I'm pumped that you're here and that you want to be part of the podcast. And I thought today Matt and I could ask you some questions about how you ended up coming to Grand Prairie for one, because I know you came you said Vancouver first. Uh, no, it was kind of like a drop off there. And then initially, uh, the location that we were supposed to is just, um, it was a lot of like mixed. It was uh, a lot of mix up and they were, we were supposed to go to Saskatchewan. But then I, then my father just told, told me, oh, we're already here. And it's like, wait, I thought we we're going to be in Saskatchewan. No, Grand Prairie. And it's like. Oh, so you didn't actually know where you were going like you just thought you were going to Saskatchewan and then he's yeah like, okay, because this uh is because uh pretty much like told me that we're gonna be oh you're gonna be going to Canada and then oh okay you are in Canada oh Saskatchewan oh yeah pretty up Saskatchewan and then it was just kind of like pretty much like oh when's the next trip like oh this is it that's like this is it wow and so when you got to Grand Prairie what was the situation it was like a lot of emotions at once it's like now that I'm here in Canada, you told me a lot of things that you're going to be supporting me for whatever things that I want. And now that I actually need something, it's like, oh, no, go get a job. But you're not even helping me to try and get a job. You're not even helping me to, like, understand these things first. Because, like, I'm new here in Canada. I don't know anything here in Canada. So it's like I can work here in Canada because, like, in Philippines, I didn't really know if you can work at any age. Like, I never thought that I would have to work until the age of 18. But... Now that I'm 16, I'm here in Canada. It's like, oh, go get a job. It's like, what? I can go get a job. So pretty much within the span of five months, a lot of things had happened, but mostly it's always like about gaslighting from the people that I used to live with. And it took a very bad toll on my mental health to the point that within that span of five months, every every day and every night, I would always cry. And there was always this one time that it's like, I was talking to my mother. So here's the thing. We lived in an apartment. Uh, there were two rooms, but those two rooms were only for my father. The other woman 
and then for the other guy that's living with us. So pretty much me and my, uh, I guess, stepbrother, I guess, uh, the son of the girl that my father is with, we kind of like just live, we kind of like just sleep in the living room. So we have no privacy. So I'm talking with my mother. And now the girl that my father is with, like she wants to get in the conversation with me and my mother, which is really kind of like pissing me off like a lot of times. I didn't really, I tried my best not to mind it, but saying yes, when I grew up in Philippines, uh, I never really had the security of having confidentiality or any privacy in my life. So now that it's like, I know that I have those ones, but also at the same time, there was not really any respect for, for my privacy there. So a lot of things pretty much kind of like escalated my mother. I don't know what happened, but apparently my mother and the step, uh, woman was talking to each other. And then my mother told me one day that she got called a stupid bitch by the girl that my father is with and that all of the hatred in my whole life just boiled up to this one point that I was really angry that day to the point that she was lucky that she was not home that day because I was, I was aware that I was not in control of myself because the thing is I was always ready to give up everything just for something that I really love because I never really knew what love is. Like as long as I know that I am doing something for someone, I am ready to throw my life for them. Like that's how much I love my mother despite all the abuses that she gave me. And pretty much um, I told my father like, hey, yeah, I was really angry. Like why the hell would she say that to my mother? That's really disrespectful. And also at the same time, my father just said, oh, that's between her and your mother. And it's like, between both of those adults like I do you not see I am in between of this and you are also a part of this because you chose to be with someone that's not really like mentally capable of understanding things like not even to respect my privacy like I was talking to my mother and now she wants to but in the conversation like do you not see your responsibility here and it was always a lot of manipulation and gaslighting within the span of five months to the point that I never really knew what to do but the thing is so while choosing all of those courses when I first time that I'm going to be going to school here in Canada, I took psychology. Now this is going to be a big thing about my self growth, like kind of like a small spark in my self growth. So they were talking about like, what was your life like and stuff like that. So looking back to like, since I was really depressed and suicidal, like most of the time when I was in Philippines, I would always joke around about uh, suicide like committing suicide and stuff like that, or maybe like randomly killing myself, just joking about it uh, on some of the stories or say paragraphs that I would usually write in the Philippines. And the teacher were teachers in Philippines would just brush it off like nothing, like it doesn't matter. It's like, oh, okay, so this is your cry for help. Yeah, pretty much like, it's kind of like a cry for help, but also at the same time, I didn't know help existed. I didn't know that whatever that I was feeling was normal. That was the reason why I was always trying to keep everything within me because it's like whatever I am experiencing right now, how come the people that are around me is not feeling anything? Because like I'm pretty enclosed in my whole life to the point that it's like, is the feeling that I'm having right now, like I never knew that what I had was anxiety. I never knew that what I had was depression. 
I didn't know depression was really a very big thing. But when I wrote it on the piece of paper, on a bond paper in, um, in my psychology class, my teacher just said, oh, uh, Tristan, I'm going to need you to go to the principal's uh, office or student services or something like that. And this was in Canada you wrote that? Yeah, it was uh, here pretty much kind of like the first day. And then when the teacher said that, it's like, oh, dang it, I'm in trouble. So I just kind of, like, what is it this time? So I just kind of like went for it. And they said that, yeah, we're just really concerned about it. I was really shocked because like, they take it seriously here? And that is when they kind of like hooked me up with the school therapist and then that school therapist has been a very big help for my mental health but it wasn't enough to the point to kind of like sustain me ish because a lot of things happened uh usually if i would make like a mistake or pretty much anything my father would always tell me like oh if you're gonna be doing this or if you're gonna be talking to me like that i'm gonna send you back to the philippines so it's always threat of going back to the Philippines but before I went to before I went here in Canada I actually told myself that I will never go back to the Philippines because I know for sure that there's no more hope there statistically looking at the finances of my family over at the Philippines it's not good I'm not gonna have a good life there like if I know that if I get sent back to the Philippines I'm just gonna end up being a dead-end worker like I'm just gonna work for a company that I don't even like and I would rather cut my life if I know that everything is just going to become constant until the age of when I die because that seems like a very pointless life and then pretty much uh, de by December 3rd I remember it really well uh, December 3rd at around 10 p.m. 10 a.m. actually uh, at, in the morning my father told me like hey son we're going to be having a talk come here to the room with me and then he just said oh, I'm already tired, so pack up your things, we're gonna go. And that's pretty much kind of like a lot of panic attacks were ha happening inside of me and it's saying like, this is it, this is it. And it's like, while he was talking to me, I was on my phone, like chatting my therapist, uh, my school counselor. Hey, you're gonna have to meet me right now, meet me at Walmart ASAP or I'm gonna do something really bad. So uh, when me and my father was starting, he actually told me like, oh, um, wait give me your phone give me your phone told me to give me your phone give me your phone like I didn't give him my phone because that was the only way that I was communicating with my therapist and then pretty much he kind of like just went on top of me and just kind of like started tugging on my phone but I just hugged my phone on my chest really tight so I don't have to let go of it and then he pushed me and then my back kind of like just pushed the humidifier so the humidifier spilled uh the fluids on it and then my father got really angry like oh look what you did look what you did and in my head it's like what do you mean what I did you pushed me causing this humidifier to lose all of its fluids and now you're blaming it on me I was here's when I started to develop because like I was trying to create a self within me an emotionless person that's what I wanted for myself but there was just way a lot of uh, emotions that is really installed within me so I just told him like, okay, I'm gonna pack up my things, but can you go to Walmart real quick? I just need to grab something. And then I waited in Walmart for around 20 minutes. If you don't come here in Walmart this day right now, I am going to kill myself if you don't come here. I told my therapist. And then I just told my therapist, uh, school counselor, everything. And then, so what can we do right now for me? And then he just, uh, and then she just told me, 
go to Sunrise Shelter and then, yeah, sure, send me to Sunrise Shelter right now. And then she called Sunrise Shelter and then Sunrise Shelter sent a cab to pick me up. And then that's that's where I actually stayed in Sunrise Shelter. When I told you, when I actually arrived in Vancouver, I cried because I didn't know if I was going to be having the same type of life as I did back then in the Philippines. Like, beside the fact that we were below average, I mean, the food that we're eating is not really that extravagant, but at least we still had food. Like, we had all of the necessities, but not enough to kind of like go on random restaurants every day. We usually just go once every four months ish and we'd go to like a pool every year sometimes. I mean, even rarely after my grandmother died, but pretty much what happened there is uh, it was just a, just a mixture of a lot of things. But what I cried about was I'm not going to have the same birthdays anymore. I'm not going to have happy birthdays. I'm not going to have happy Christmas anymore or any of those happy events in my life anymore. But the thing is, my birthday was on December 19th. So my first snow, my first December, my first everything, first snow, like it was in Sunrise Shelter. It was really, really beautiful and amazing because like they brought their dogs on my birthday. Like they brought their dogs. They brought, bought me all of the ingredients that I needed to cook my favorite dish. Just really perfect for my birthday. Like I was really happy when Christmas came. We also received a lot of gifts, so it's really amazing. Like, I've never really had this much gifts. Like, literally, there was just a few kids that was in Sunrise Shelter that time. So the gifts that we received that time was really a lot. So it's, like, really amazing. It's, there's also, like, a lot of food. Like, I was even kind of, like, telling myself, are we really considering, considering this the best birthday right now? Despite the fact that we've had a lot of birthdays with our families back then in Philippines, but now you're actually considering this. Because it's kind of like, I never really thought that I'm going to have like, at least like a minimum of like a cake. A lot of staffs there greeted me. Like it actually felt like I was home. Like for the span of being here in Canada, by the time that I went to homeless youth shelter, that's when I actually felt like home. And then I just wanted to keep on staying there. But also at the same time, I didn't really know what to do with like the social services. But the thing too, though, is that they were always kind of like pressuring me to go back to my parents, to my father, I guess. For me, here's one thing that I observed about myself. Despite the fact that if someone treated me so badly, if it didn't happen for like a long time, my brain just kind of like forgets about it. And then why was I angry about them again? And then I'm going to go back to them again and then re-experience the trauma again. And then now I actually want to leave again. And that's pretty much what happened. Like the moment that I left this, they returned me to my father like around March 10th. And then I just stayed there like just, I was barely eating anything there. My father would just cook random stuff and it's like, oh, okay. I was way happier in Sunrise Shelter, but the thing is I never really knew how any of these things worked. And then as soon as I turned 18, no one really talks about like if you are in Sunrise Shelter, if you know that you don't want to go back to your parents, you need to work with your social worker so that they can give you all of the services that you can get so you can actually become independent. The thing is that you're saying you didn't realize that you could be working towards emancipating yourself from your father yeah, and becoming so, an adult. Yes, pretty much. And I actually, uh, because it was, I also remember the moment that I actually became independent. It was before, three days before I actually turned 
18. So it was say around December 15, 14, 13, I guess. Uh, I was get, getting really angry that they and they also had some assignments. So I tried to do my do my assignments. I got really pissed. And then what my biological father usually does is he turns off the Wi-Fi as punishment. And I need the Wi-Fi to do my assignment. And I forced myself to do an assignment that I didn't really, really want to do. And now he takes advantage of this. And now I can't do the assignments. Like you're, I'm forcing myself to do something that I don't really like. And now you're just making it worse by turning off the Wi-Fi that I actually need to do this assignment. It's like I had to control my emotions because I was getting really wild up. Like I know for a fact that if I allow all of this anger, anger to just kind of like spark up, this fire will not stop. And I, I know for sure that I will not be aware if this fire starts right now because it's full of trauma, all of this anger. Because it's like I built myself on hatred. I am a steampunk running on hatred, anger just to keep on pushing through life. So if all of this got out, I know for sure that I'm going to mess my life up. I just called Sunrise Shelter like, hey, can you do something? And then they just said, oh, what happened? Yeah, I I uh, turned off the Wi-Fi. I'm really pissed right now. Oh, actually, they just kind of called the police on me. And then the cops uh, took me to Sunrise Shelter. And then within the span of three days, they just kind of like told me like, oh, you're going to have to find a rental place within before you actually turn 18. And then within those three or four days, I just spent the time like looking for one of the rentals here in GP, like uh, $500, like for just renting a room. Because, I mean... I never really grew up in a in an expensive house to the point that I would rather want like an apartment. Like I would like I'm fine with living with other people as long as I have like this one small privacy. So I found this uh, one awesome rental. It was really good, and then I just transferred all of my items from there. I've also kind of like experienced some hardships with the rentals i mean yeah 500 dollars that's really amazing and really cheap but also at the same time like the people that i was living it was really really pri um privileged there was even this one time so i was look kind of like looking for a job i was still uh, working in downtown tomorrow's but they're really because like since it's really busy in that location we had to do like a lot of like uh like fast movements and stuff like that so there was this one assistant manager that um, saw these fast movements that I was doing with like all of the hot holds and stuff like that. Like she said that I was angry. She complained to the manager and now I got written up for it. And it's like, I'm getting written up for this. Like you didn't even ask me what I'm doing right now. It's like when I was kind of like, what do you mean I was angry? And it's like, and then we, she was also kind of like in a computer the other time and then I was doing the fast hand movements again with a hot hose. It's like, see, there you are, you're getting angry again. It's like, what? Like, if I am angry right now, I would have smacked this on your head. <laughs> I didn't matter. We were, were we not talking about, like we were talking about um, jobs like that when you get, you know, you're getting in trouble <laughs> for the thing that you've been taught to do. Oh, yeah. But you're being perceived as something exactly. like because you've been in quite a few jobs and you worked at Starbucks. I know that it's hard in those roles because you're working really fast 
And then you're expecting, it's like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So they yeah. tell you to do this thing and you exactly. do it. And then someone comes along and says, you're doing it wrong. And then someone else comes along and says, no, this way. And then that person comes back and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally the thing about it too, is that like I was getting really pissed about it. It's like I, now that I'm getting written up about it, like, no, this is the last job because like I was taking care of a lot of shifts there like i am a cashier i am a coffee brewer i am a runner like doing all of those positions like i've done all of the positions in tomorrow's except for the management or anything like that yeah. i've done everything except for the sandwich so but i am still getting paid 1550 guess what someone new just came in just because he is this one specific race he also got the race that i got that i waited for for three months i just had talked about that that happened to me too where I found out, like, the person I was training was making more than me. Yeah, which doesn't <laughs> make sense because, like, excuse me, I am putting a lot of value in this place. Like, I am quite a perfectionist on all of these things. Like, I am checking all of the temperatures and stuff like that. But, like, for other people that has been working there, to, do take note, they wash their hands with gloves. They're wearing gloves where they wash their hands. So, pretty much not really doing anything. Like... <laughs> If you're going to wash your gloves, just replace the damn gloves. It doesn't make sense to wash it off. A big thing with the work, like force and any kind of working here, um, is you're expected to do everything and anything with no complaints. And if you act upset or if you complain, you're a poor sport or you have bad work ethic. I was 16 years old working which was supposed to be a part-time position at a Starbucks to help support my niece and nephew being paid thirteen fifty at the time because I was underage and it was a child, a youth wage without the raids yet. And I was doing everything the assistant manager was doing who was getting paid $23 an hour for thirteen fifty. I wasn't allowed, legally allowed to do some of the stuff I did. I did the bank deposits. I did the orders. I did the checks. I was, I was 16. I was not legally allowed to be in that safe or to use the computer system. And then, like when I said, when my friend passed and I worked three days back to back, split eight hour shifts with an hour and a half in between each one. And then I called in sick because I fainted the last shift. So the next day I called in sick for my four and a half hour shift at my location. I was told I was being irresponsible and immature and I didn't give enough warning. And they're wondering why the thing is happening called the Great Resignation. Yeah. Right? Because in COVID, we're those rules. you and we're going to make you feel horrible and we're not going to pay you properly. But you breathe wrong and now we're upset at you. But you can't be upset at us. And it was considered an essential service when COVID happened, right? And then, oh, we... We respect you all, but you're, we're going to put you in these really dangerous situations and expose you. And but, treat you, you with know. shit. Yeah, and then people just started quitting, like, left, right, and so they're like, nah. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. COVID put a lot of that perspective on people. Like, we, I think people went, no, nope, life, life's too short for this shit. I've got to find another job. Exactly. I, <laughs> I, I, worked I worked for a single week in Superstore during the pandemic. Then I was hospitalized for three days after because of stress seizures. Because some people were like, well, why don't you have this? Why is there a limit? I'm like, I'm 18. I did not set the toilet paper limit. That was literally the government. 
because you idiots panic bought. It's, it's it, that's it though. Like the retail and essential workers were faced in front of the firing squad of Karens and Kevin's out there, you know, <laughs> complaining and saying, "I don't want to wear a mask. It's not man and all this stuff, right?" And it was those people working those roles that weren't being treated with respect and. Not everybody. I mean, some businesses, sure. Like, I'm not saying all businesses are bad. But the thing is, is that the uprise of the Great Resignation makes a lot of sense after that. I mean, people want more than, and things need to change. Well, now that I'm saving up to move out with my partner and, like, get a car and everything, I realized if I was making what I used to make, doing a way harder job, I wouldn't be able to do it. I worked more hours at lower wage for a harder job and was still not able to afford something I can afford now. Like I am my like my pay isn't great, but it's a livable wage, which is six and a half dollars more than a minimum wage. So we need to stop minimum wage and make a livable wage because People are earning fifteen fifty an hour or fifteen whatever now. I don't know. I'm doing like, fifteen right now on thirty hours weekly. So surviving, <laughs> right? And like you're just clawing through. And then people are like, "Well, why are you complaining? Well, why don't you just save up? Because I have to exist. Like save up. Oh yeah, no, I'm not gonna eat anything for like the span of uh, many years until I can save up. Yeah, I guess what? I'm not alive by the time that I save up. All right. So from Tuesday to Thursday, I just won't eat, and I'll have one meal Friday. That way, I can put this much away per month, like my parents did 35 years ago. And that whole idea—I don't know what it was they used to say. Like you're only supposed to spend like what is it, 30 percent or something? I don't know. I should look it up. Like on rent, and that's like a joke now. Like that doesn't exist. Right? Like a, a two bedroom, one bathroom apartment for my partner and I, the cheapest we can find is nine ninety five a month. And you know that that place is probably. It's not the greatest. Yeah. And if we want something that would be, we would feel safe in that was okay, it would be 1100 a month plus pet fees, which having two pets, yeah, boom, 1200 I'm 13. I have to pay 13 something 1325 i think with the pet fee and i have mice it's awesome but you know at the same time though i freaking love my neighborhood I love and your i love my place like it's the perfect so nice. size and it matters your neighbors like i don't think i've ever had neighbors as awesome as these neighbors. <laughs> like it's a great neighborhood i've i've just never i don't know how i manifested that but thank you <laughs> you know but I think that's something to be said right there, Tristan, based on what you're saying. It's like we've all like when we share our experiences, I would when I hear that and I realize how young you were when that happened and how you experienced feeling joy and love in that way. It's not that you haven't felt that, but not in that way. And it was obviously the way you needed to feel it. Because inside, from what we had talked to with each other, like you knew that this was wrong, but you had no one to affirm with you that you're correct, Tristan. That's not that's not right. And you had no that. comparison. Nothing. Because whereas you had that type of 
abuse and trauma happening to you and you had no other line to look at. Someone like myself who had a great family, but then whose best friend had a bad family, I was instantly able to realize, okay, what they're doing is not okay. But she wasn't for ten and a half years. It's always baseline in comparison and reassurance. But reassurance is hard to get because you're scared that if you're in the wrong, you're instantly the bad guy. Well, I mean, even if you do kind of like get reassurance, because like for me, reassurance is kind of like, it is good, but also at the same time, like, oh, I'm abusing you because I love you. Like I am being reaffirmed that I am loved, but also I am abused. So it's like, okay, so abuse is love. That is the equation. And now, I mean, even for talking to um, some friends, it's like, I am observing like a lot of, uh, why do you need to be sexualized in order to feel love? And then now that I'm actually kind of like looking back into their life, oh, okay, I see. So your parents did this to you or some of their friends did this to you. So now it's pretty much engraved in your brain right now. And it's true because, I mean, I grew up in a different generation. And, and you know, I will say that it doesn't matter where you are, especially if you're, you know, a female primarily, I'd say. You're taught very young, like little girls. Do you ever notice how many times they're told they're cute or beautiful? Yeah. Right? And so it starts that, like, I love how the word indoctrination is becoming <laughs> so popular, but not in a good way. But, you know, it's never a good way. We are taught that that's the norm. But the norm is a very narrow window, and it usually looks like a specific person that doesn't even exist. Barbie. Right? Barbie. Yeah. Or, and you know, like whatever. And how Victoria's Secret, the epitome of femininity, was made by a dude in his mother's basement. Right? Like, and, and then as you get older, it's like, well okay, now you're not as valuable because you've lost that look or whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. And as much as we shit on social media, I do think that there's something about it that raises awareness and connects us, right? And it also scares us with aliens, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but besides that, it does... Where I really like when you said you you wanted to be an advocate for mental health. I went. I just have to tell you, I went and I read some things before you came because I was like really interested. Like, okay, like what is the deal in the Philippines? What is it like there? Mental health for mental exist. health. Yeah, it does not exist. I found out something like I read this. This article is written in March 2023 20, and it's from uh, Esquire, but it says. Gen Z in the Philippines are facing more mental health issues than the rest of the world. I was like, because it it doesn't exist there. Like, I mean, even especially, I was talking to this uh, my cousin's girlfriend. Though she told me this one time that she wanted to be a psychologist because she loves psychology, but she wanted to help people with mental health and stuff like that. And then my cousin pretty much just told her that those are for crazy people. Like anything psychology, like if you want to talk about mental health in the Philippines, it is stigmatized. I don't really want to call it like mental illness. Like say if you have depression, they are immediately going to call you like you're crazy or something like that. They don't think like what 
happened to this person before he became this like they're immediately saying oh if they're gonna be seeing like some random person screaming at the side of the road or they're immediately gonna label this person as a crazy person rather than asking like did he have a bad day what happened to him or something like that it's always stigmatizing like uh, about a lot of things i mean even before i left the philippines in my city a lot of students were committing suicide because they were not reaching the grades that the universities needed them to reach and the thing too though is that I was reading something in Reddit that really made my blood boil. So there was this girl that didn't get the grades that she needed so she can go to a school. And this is what her father told her. You should kill yourself because you are not that good. And then she did kill herself. And it's like, it just pisses me off to like, why are you like that to your children? I mean, it's a really big problem in Philippines. That's why I want to advocate for mental health. Like when I was in Philippines, I never knew that all my feelings mattered. I never knew that the that depression, ADHD, I thought I was the only person that had it. I never knew that, oh, I, will, I, ha I was depressed that time. I'll, oh, this is a serious thing. I never knew that the feelings that were eating me alive was normal. I thought that it, those types of bad experiences were just happening to me. That's why I was just kind of like keeping it into myself. Like you're going to see like a lot of people that are just acting really happy but also at the same time they are suffering inside that's why like there has to be this support system that's why i created this uh discord community where people can kind of like just talk about their mental health but also at the same time since uh, but most of the time i try my best to see and uh ping everyone in the discord server like hey how are you doing because like most of the time we don't really need to go into therapy usually we just need to tell someone about our day like what kind of things happen to us the bad things that happen to us most of the time we just need someone to listen to our problems like just i was doing with kara in the car over here oh yeah. that has had a hell of a day yeah, yeah still sitting here like this i know i said i cannot believe what you just told me you went through in the last 24 hours and you are still here with me you are amazing yeah and how you touch back on the stigmatism and the instant label of crazy that you're talking about is the stigmatism leads to the crazy al allegations in more than one way. Because, okay, mental health isn't real, so this person doing this is crazy. But if you have no support, no connection, no reference, and like you were saying, you were like, all these things eating me are just me, then you feel crazy. And it's a psycho-pseudosomatic thing. Like, oh, if I feel crazy, I must be crazy. So then they kind of snap more and more, and then they actually do become what some people or the law would label legally insane. I might not share this in the podcast, but I might. So I'll say like I'm going to. All right. But, you know, I my partner and I separated last year and he has a very serious mental illness. Very serious. And we were living here in Grand Prairie and we could not get a diagnosis for him. And he struggled and cycled and watching someone cycle like that every two months and i really saw it was such a double standard because where i was helping him and loving him kyle was the first person to ever let me be me unapologetically and when he got sick and he was sick it would be no different to me if he had cancer or if he had some other ailment illness right I wouldn't abandon him and leave him, but society and everyone around us constantly was insinuating he's 
mooching off of me and why isn't he doing anything for you and it was all these subtle things that became a thousand paper cuts and it wasn't coming from strangers it was coming from family and friends you know and it was like I'd say oh I'm just washing the dishes why isn't Kyle washing the dishes oh I'm gonna go get groceries why didn't Kyle go get groceries like and then asking me why I'm so stressed. Well, dealing with Kyle's illness was not even remotely as hard as dealing with the people who cared about me. Yeah. Because their worry for me was more work than actually being in that relationship with Kyle. And all he needed was someone to help him. And I needed someone to help me help him. And the system, you know is not perfect in Canada. It definitely is not. No. And when we had COVID, um, I was going to buy a mini home and then our funding fell through and then we had no place to live because it was like, oh shit, right? And mm -hmm. where I'm from is not a big community, but the rent is so high because of university. Yeah. So the closest place we could find to rent was two and a half hours away so all of that compounded so we then had to move to another city and so he loses his whole healthcare team the team that was the first time ever they included me in the conversations for his care I mean that's such a simple thing to do you would think because when you're mentally ill you think you're okay but the next hour, you might not be okay. Or you might be in a hyper, hyper state of like, you might be in a mania. So you're like, I'm great. I feel really good. And then they would call me and I'd be like, yeah, no, that's not good right now. Like at all. That's the first time that it happened to us in 10 years that people actually asked me instead of it being like, you're just the overprotective wife or whatever. Right. So it's just really interesting because when he lost his team and um, and then everyone kept going, well, you should do this. The shoulds, right? Like the shoulds just about killed me. Shoulds are so hard. The shoulds. You should be doing this and have you done this and should. So I'd have to go through all of the stuff like with him and, and his, whoever and my son. And like at one point I, you know, um, I was homeschooling Cole in grade 10. I was working two jobs. Oh, yeah. We text oh. quite a bit. During yeah, it was uh. so hard, right? Like, There's a song you know? I think that you'll definitely like if you haven't heard it already. What is it? Uh, Wrecking Ball oh. by Mother Mother. Not by... No, I know uh, this one. The, not by Miley Cyrus. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Yes. That's totally how I feel because, oh, well, why don't you just do this or doing this? I have six mental illnesses. I'm not doing this for fun like i am not and one of the lines is i break it just because i can i don't like that sarcastically obviously i don't do that yeah. i wouldn't choose to be trans i wouldn't choose to have ptsd i wouldn't choose to have anxiety depression yada 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 but everyone's like oh well have you just tried this yeah i've tried literally everything oh my god when they do that did you just try and you're like if someone would just listen like you said tristan like you just sometimes you just need someone to actually listen to you and not not do for you what they think you need but actually listen to what you're saying you need there's something my family put in order if there's any sort of serious or emotional talks before we even start is this a rant is this a help seeking or is this just needing company 
and how you said the hardest night of your life keeping just one night my dad's gone through that so many nights with me because one of the biggest things in mental health here up until recently and because of my mother's uh, my mother's all-of-a-sudden fight there the only time they had a psychiatrist on call in the er was between 10 a.m and 7 p.m most mental breakdowns statistically happen between 12 no sorry 11 p.m and 3 a.m so i would go up to the hospital at midnight with like horrible signs like rocking back and forth association oh well we'll sit you in the quiet room which is horrible oh my god okay so that quiet room also get a fuck out of paint because the goddamn claws on the wall yeah like that was the worst room i had to sit in that room for 36 hours before i saw a psychiatrist i swear to god 36 hours mm-hmm. with claws on the wall yeah and they i was straight up told us by one of the nurses it's not serious enough if I was brave enough to tell my dad and my sister to take me up. If it was really that bad, you wouldn't have asked your dad to drive you. Oh, and that's the thing. Like, I, I, I really hope, because I'm glad that we get to hear what it's like in the Philippines. And then we see what it's like here. And that there are more supports, right? Um, even though it's not perfect. But I think, like, when I hear things like that... I start to wonder how how did that person who's working with you get into that profession? get to that place? Yeah, what has happened to them that they're so burnt out to say something like that to a child? Like, I was what? fifteen. Yeah, because there was this one time the so time signatures is very much different here in Canada and in the Philippines, right? So in my server, someone really needed to someone to talk to, and then I was talking to her about. Um, like anything that's been happening to her and stuff like that. So she went to a famous psychologist in the Philippines and it just pissed me off what she told me. The the quote-unquote famous psychiatrist or psychologist that she went to told her to get her shit together. What the Well, flip is that. Really? Yeah. Like, this is what I mean. Like, what is happening that that these professionals, because it it, it paints a bad picture for the other professionals who are really good, right? And when you get a good doctor, you're like, oh, my God, please. Please." My psychiatrist today, because switching, honestly, switching from being a youth to an adult is hard enough. In the middle of COVID, too. Yes. Because the second you turn 18, it's seen as immature or irresponsible to have your parents in your health care, mental or physical. It's true. I'm going through this with Cole. I sat in my psychiatrist's office and I said, I don't care what you're saying. My mother is entering this with me. My psychiatrist had no problem. It was the freaking receptionist. But he re- he switched from being outpatient um, to being solely inpatient. I did not get this information for six months. I called once a week to schedule with him. I said, I will get him to call you. Six months later, I was told that he no longer worked. So now I'm on a six to 27 month waiting list for a new psychiatrist. And that's what I mean. Like we're seeing this happening in the healthcare system. Like it was bad before COVID. And I think COVID completely crumbled. Oh, so horrible. So horrible, right? And it's not really any one person's fault. No. It's a system that's been broken for a long time, right? Then as trans men, I need constant hormone therapy. And there was a year and a half gap where I had no one to assign me my testosterone. So I had to pay out of pocket for it. And so here's the thing. Like, I'm thinking about this as you're saying this. It's like you come from this place where you experience trauma. And 
you know, mental illness is seen completely different. Not completely, I'd say. Same views, harsher reactions. Yeah, not no infrastructure for any support for anyone with mental illness. It seems like that's what you're hoping to help. But one of the things I'm also hearing from a lot of people who have immigrated to Canada, because Canada is a multicultural country, and people are immigrating here all the time, coming from places with no infrastructure. And then they're also experiencing, like I was telling Matt, like I hear people say, like, it's those things where you're like talking to your family back home and they're shaming you for something they don't understand that you're doing here, like going to school. Like one of my friends was saying, their family at home thinks they're failing because they're going to school because you only go to school in their country till university and you never go back to school. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, and if you go back to school, that's just ridiculous, right? And so why aren't you working? But here, my other friend was like, oh, like you can go to school here when you're 80. That's also kind of like the stigma that I was, I think I, that's, oh, actually, I think I just found out right now because like, Right now, it feels like I'm rushing almost everything. For gap years on, for educational terms, I guess, is that usually a lot of people don't want to take any gaps for education because it feels, it kind of feels like a waste of time for like most people, but also at the same time, it's like, oh, if we're going to be honest, by this time that you were born, there's a lot of things that you can still learn from. So to say that you're just going to be going to high school by the age of 18 and then you're going to get your college degree by the age of uh, 22. I mean, good for you. At least you finished uh, your college because like for me right now, I'm still trying to push back myself because initially a lot of people told me that, oh, Tristan, you're really, you're really good at math. So you should be an engineer. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. I'll be an engineer. But that's the problem. But I didn't choose engineer. Society chose engineer for me because of that. They said that's what where I belong to. So now that I'm here in Canada, the economy in the Philippines, it's, it's very screwed up to the point that say a construction worker here earns $27 right in Philippines they barely earn anything because it's like they always look down on construction workers there in Philippines like oh your father is a construction worker that's really depressing because like they don't appreciate hard work in Philippines as much as they do over here that's why they try to grab as much uh, overseas workers here because they are willing to work hard but also it's paid fairly unlike in Philippines if you're a hard labor worker there in the Philippines, like you're just gonna be lucky if you're like a carpenter, but if you're kind of like a construction worker and yet they are paid $2 for the whole day? That makes no sense because without them building these buildings, the rich fancy men wouldn't have their jobs. So They'd be true. working on a laptop and a park bench that wouldn't be there because construction workers didn't put it there. I wanted to be an entrepreneur, like just oh, being Justin, a capitalist. You're going to be an entrepreneur, I can tell. Well, I mean, no, because like, <laughs> you just scream entrepreneur. No, I mean, because like, I wanted to be an entrepreneur because like, I wanted to be rich. But all, but the moment that I read The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, it's like, damn, I have a lot of things that I need to take care of. Because like right now, I'm still trying to heal from the trauma that I've had in my whole life. Because the thing about trauma is that if you have been neglected of something from your childhood, 
subconsciously you know that you need that so by the time that you are growing you will try and seek that out something that you do not know that's why if you're going to be seeing like a lot of people that are really high achievers i usually ask them oh what was your childhood like because most of the time because most of the time they would always tell me like oh how was your relationship with your father how was your relationship with your mother turns out they never really got the validation that they needed from their parents so kind of kind of just like me i had to work really hard i had to get high grades so i can get oh that's really good i really love you because you did this so pretty much what i learned back then is that i need to do something really extraordinary in order to receive love so now i have to be a very high achiever to keep on receiving that love from my parents i literally went to this one group and there was uh, one person that was asking everyone in that group why am i always trying to be the best at everything i don't understand why and then i remember him telling me that back then like he wanted to do something for his father but then again he didn't receive the reaction that he wanted from his father like kind of like just brushed it off oh i did this amazing thing and then his father just kind of like said oh i can do that better rather than saying oh i'm really proud of you and now he's actually like chasing like he wants to be way way better so he can actually get that love from his parents so it's like always just chasing that so he didn't know why he was always trying to chase number one spot but i pretty much told him so you might not like this but in my theory like you're chasing validation from other people because like you want to be number one in everything and being number one if we're gonna be honest everyone that has reached number one in anything they get validated by a lot of people and now you didn't get validated from your childhood now you crave that so any thing that you can get your hands on validation you're not doing it for yourself you're doing it for the validation that was neglected from your childhood everything is trauma-based like oh you really love doing this let's look back into your history <laughs> don't even go on for hours before i go down that <laughs> already sitting here like yeah i know and because i'm like much much older than you guys since so. i like i have and you know how amazing my parents are yeah they have always been like with grades or with anything are you trying your best and then you say honestly yes okay that's good enough but then you turn to school or society and it's like well, fast hurry up get better get better get better because i have a genius iq so does my older sister but we're both autistic. Our autism works in opposite ways. So I was always compared to her. Like, oh, well, she can do all this. Why aren't you? And I was like, I am not her. I never sought validation from parents because it was always there. It's like a free fall of it. And then I started going to therapy at 13 and realized that's why I'm such a people pleaser in public because I was never validated by public. But my parents, home life, great. Public life, horrible. And then during the pandemic, it could actually switch to, okay, I don't care what you think of me, I'm going to do me. And you realize your family's trauma, like whoever raised you, no matter what, because like my parents' generation and their families, they weren't allowed to feel things. They were lucky if they were allowed to speak. Children were to be seen and not heard, right? Like, And so when my mother was raising me and my dad was raising me, they came from like a, like my town is nicknamed the Little Vatican. I had mentioned this in uh, the other podcast. So my mother was taught, you never question authority. So you don't question a teacher, you don't question a doctor, you don't question a priest. And when I 
literally died from fluid in my lungs from epilepsy. She had to fight for me and question authority because I was also being like uh, physically and mentally abused at school too. I was getting spanked by and hit and humiliated for having seizures. So she had to unlearn this trauma really quickly. She couldn't guess where it came from or why or how it started. But then as I got older, she would tell me all the things that she wished she had been told. You can do anything. You can be anything. But I think intuitively, I always, because I would go out into the world and the world would tell me, no, you can't. You're not going to live fast 20s and you're not going to graduate high school and you're not going to do this. And then I'd go home and mom would be like, yes, you can do anything. But the truth was she didn't actually believe it either. She wanted to believe it so bad. And I'm glad she faked it till I made it because I then had to prove everyone wrong. So then her trauma and my trauma combine. So then we end up having this very toxic love for each other. Like it's a very messed up relationship. Most mothers and adolescent daughters have some weird shit going on. But I was very aware of our traumas, right? But this is what her trauma had convinced her by trying to keep me alive and the expectations of the world and my abilities. But I knew my abilities. In so many ways, I'm glad it happened that way because I did push myself like to go farther. I think the difference is, and I think what's happening, I don't know if you're noticing it, but I'm noticing it. And I think it's through things like podcasts like this and our generations getting together and talking about it is that we are talking about it and making the observations about these generational systemic ways that they had to cope without any support. And then we are the products of that. And so it just ends up hopefully getting better, you know, but they would never sit down ever and have a conversation. Could you imagine your grandparents sitting down and talking like this? Heavily, no, because uh, I mean, even for it's kind of quite common. I I don't want to say like for Asians, but for for my family and for my friends' family, it's quite common to have silent treatments. Like if there's gonna be disagreements in between two family members, there's gonna be silent treatment for like a month or two or something like that, like a very long term, and then guess what we both of you are just gonna talk randomly this one day it's like oh nothing it's like nothing happened disagreement like a fight silent treatment for like a very long time and then both of you just talk because like even right now i'm still trying to reprogram a lot of things from my childhood i mean even me right now talking about um my childhood even from like my emotions and stuff like that i never imagined myself to even be truthful about my emotions i had to reprogram a lot of things i mean even for communications because it's like i don't really agree with what you're doing right now and that's just me saying it in my head but if i feel like something isn't okay like i try to try my best to kind of like cultivate my courage and bring this out because it's like knowing from back then it was always like silent treatment like oh if i didn't like something i'll just shut up about it oh if something is wrong i'll just shut up about it even from back then 
whenever I want to get into like the conversations with adults because I'm really interested in whatever they're going to be talking about it's like oh what are you guys going to be uh what are you guys talking about and then it's going to be like oh no you're too young and you're not going to understand it was like why not why can't I understand oh because you're young because like there's a lot of things about like age that just kind of like gets me irritated because oh they say yeah like I'm already 18 you're supposed to know this yeah guess what they didn't even have any of these experiences yet a lot of people are saying like oh you're already 40 years old you should already have a house well guess what tell that to our economy right now like if you don't study any of that if you have no experiences on that you're not gonna know anything that's why it's people are saying like oh you're already 18 at your age but where is that written in the whole of universe like oh how come this person is acting like this because age is literally just a number in which if you're going to say that oh i'm already 20 years old i should already have everything figured out guess what no one in this world knows what they want that's why i love gary v because like if you are still 30 years old 40 years old you still have your whole life to figure things out like by the time you are 20 you don't know anything it's okay take your time just just try to understand yourself and just go from there rather than just I'm, I'm taking my time to understand all of these things so it's like if people are telling me like oh you should really go to college right now but i don't want to push myself into a direction that i am not a hundred percent in thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Vegas gun podcast if you or someone you love is experiencing a mental health crisis please visit the links in our show notes for resources to help you on your journey we are all in this together, one nation, one tribe.